Hello, fellow foodies. This is Dr. Cassandra Quave, and I have a really special guest today. Um, we're going to be speaking about The Giving Kitchen. And The Giving Kitchen is a nonprofit organization that was inspired by an outpouring of support from the hospitality industry when Chef Ryan Heidinger was diagnosed with late stage cancer in December of 2012. Ryan was really well known in the Atlanta restaurant community for his work at Bacchanalia, Float Away Cafe, and Muss and Turners. Now, the Giving Kitchen's promise to the food service community in Georgia is one of stability, and they fulfill that promise through a vision of a food service community where crisis is met with compassion and care, and where self-care is valued above all else. The Giving Kitchen provides emergency assistance to food service workers through financial support and a network of community resources. Now, especially today, where we have a lot of instability in the food and restaurant sectors because of COVID, there's never been a more important time for an organization like this to support the food service workers. Our guest on the show today is Brian Schroeder. He's the executive director of The Giving Kitchen. Brian earned his master's in nonprofit management from the University of Georgia's Institute for Nonprofit Organizations in 2006, and he earned a Bachelor's of Art in Philosophy and Religion at Piedmont College in 2003. Before joining the Giving Kitchen, he spent 10 years working for the Georgia Conservancy in both development and programs. So, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to see you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, it's, it's always a lot of fun to have shows with local um, Atlanta um, dwellers, <laughs> although we're still doing it over Skype because of COVID. Um, I learned about The Giving Kitchen just um, in the past year or so, and I was really fascinated with the mission and its story. And I was wondering if maybe you could start by just telling us a little bit about how and why The Giving Kitchen was founded. Uh, absolutely. And I'll share, you know, I also had a Giving Kitchen discovery moment. So I've not been with the agency from the beginning. Um, and uh, my family history, my background is in restaurants. And so I remember, I think it was about six years ago, I heard about the Giving Kitchen and just thought, oh, wow, um, that's that's incredible. That's needed. And I really thought like, man, those guys are never going to make it because <laughs> like, it's such because the, the it really is so ambitious. And uh, one of the things that being involved uh, over the last three years has taught me uh, is just the, the the capacity of the community to support Giving Kitchen and and its ability to impact change is beyond what I even anticipated or expected when I started working at Giving Kitchen. Um, but to go back in time, you know, Giving Kitchen is the story of a family coming together, um, a small family, a family of um, blood relatives, but also a family in a restaurant. On a restaurant family, and it's also the the story of a, the bigger family coming together, um, uh, competitors uh, setting aside differences to support you know someone who they knew and love. Um, and so Ryan Heidinger uh, was a beloved member of, of the Atlanta's food service community. Uh, him and his wife ran a small pop-up that called Prelude to Staple House. Their goal was to open up their own restaurant. Uh, he had the full support of his. Um, the, the people who ran Muss and Turner's, who who he reported to, who were the owners of his restaurant where he was a chef, um, and you know everything was going really well until he came back from a trip to New York. He was um, had been kind of scoping different restaurants, uh, looking at different concepts. Um, for the first few days, he thought he had just overdone it, like many of us do when we go and visit New York. And um, unfortunately, uh, after he went yeah. to the doctor, he found out he had stage four gallbladder cancer. 
Mm. And um, really was devastating news uh, for for Ryan and for Jen, his wife. I just kind of felt like, I mean, this is it. This is the end of our, our dream. Um, you know, he was given only a few months to live. Um, and the most amazing thing happened next. Um, his uh, food service family came to him and said, we want to throw a fundraiser for you. Uh, we're going to do it. Uh, he was diagnosed, at, you know, in, in November. They were going to host this event in January. So only a, really a few weeks in between. I mean, this is kind of end of November, 1st of January. Um, you know, we want to just give you the chance to either get whatever treatment that, that you possibly could get to take care of your family, to put them in a good place so you can uh, fight cancer, uh, knowing that your family will be taken care of. And um, so the name of the event was Team Heidi. Uh, that was his nickname was Heidi from Ryan Heidinger. Um, and the it was meant to be a $25,000 fundraiser. They raised almost $250,000. Wow. So just wow. a total astonishment. Um, and it really was like the whole community came together. And he, Ryan got on stage that night and said, I've beaten cancer. Um, not because I'll live or die, but because of, you know, look at the people who I brought together. And um, out of that moment, this idea of Giving Kitchen was born. Uh, at first, Giving Kitchen was going to be this um, almost as a part of his restaurant. So the restaurant that they always wanted to open, that they were going to open that, but have it be part of the nonprofit and the nonprofit would receive the, the benefits and they would use some of the funds that were raised. Um, and really in the very beginning, this restaurant, which would become to be known as Staple House, was at the forefront of everyone's thoughts. Um, the, the nonprofit uh, seemed to be kind of as a mechanism to get the ball rolling. And as the, the restaurant was delayed, the need for the nonprofit uh, really was it's shown a light on the need in the community. Um, and so um, eventually Staple House would open. It's gone on to become one of the most celebrated restaurants in Atlanta. Um, at the same time, uh, Giving Kitchen got out from underneath this con kind of idea that it was just a side or a part of Staple House and has established itself as its own um, impactful, relevant, um, important nonprofits serving food service uh, uh, workers in, in Atlanta and, and now across the state. Uh, Ryan lived long enough to see the initial beginning of the restaurant build out, uh, which is, I think, two or three times longer than the doctors gave him. So there's a lot of, um, wow. you know, a, the story of, you know, of his his story of being able to, to push past the diagnosis and, and see his kind of his vision start to become a reality. Um, but even more importantly, I think he got to li live long enough to see the impact of Giving Kitchen, you know, really and truly having on, on people's lives. Um, we have grown since, you know, if you think about this as the fight for one person's life, we were an, initially an organization that only served private restaurants inside the perimeter of Atlanta. Uh, so ITP for all your Atlanta listeners. Um, and... Uh, over the next five years, we've gone from the fight for one person's life to really the fight for 400,000 lives. Uh, we now serve wow. any commercial food service uh, anywhere in Georgia. So that doesn't so that means um, catering, concessions, food trucks, cafeteria, um, and you know we do it all um, digitally in English and in Spanish. We also have a language line if there's other languages that we need to use. Um, and someone who um, has all their documentation together can get financial assistance from Giving Kitchen relatively quickly. Uh, the core criteria 
uh, for financial assistance is, is you have a, um, if you're sick, if you're injured, if you have a death in the family or a housing crisis like a flood or fire. So normal times for Giving Kitchen, that was our, that's our bread and butter. Um, and so we would serve chefs who, chefs, waiters, waitresses, catering directors, uh, broken legs, uh, you know, cancer diagnosis, their house burned down, they, their, their father passed away, their son passed away. Um, and then everything has just been magnified because of COVID-19. Um, yeah. So it's like, it's like a community kind of insurance in a way to yeah. help people to maintain resilience in, in the food community, basically. And yeah. a lot of the, the simplest way to explain it is we're like a unexpected and unaccounted for Aflac. Um, and for people who know Aflac, we're like a supplemental insurance. So we, we actually don't pay for medical bills, um, but we do pay rent and we pay um, utilities. Uh, and we also reimburse a funeral expense if that's necessary. But we, we, we tend to, or I would say 95% of giving kitchen funds that go into the community are in the form of a rent check or utility bill. And so let's say a restaurant worker breaks their leg, the doctor, part of what they send us is their doctor's note that says that they'll be out of work for four months. So we'll look at their lease, we'll look at their power bills, and we'll write them checks for their landlord, for Georgia Power, for Atlanta Natural Gas, um, or Georgia Natural Gas, and the city of Atlanta, um, so they can have their, their water on, their gas on, and their electricity on, and their the roof over their head while they're surviving through this crisis. That's amazing. How, how, how many years has um, Giving Kitchen been um, doing this for now? So we just recently celebrated our seventh anniversary. Mm -hmm. um, I would generously describe the first year or two as we were just kind of figuring out <laughs> which way was up. Of course, uh, yeah. And uh, we have only been a part of a statewide you know, effort uh, for the last year and a half. Um, and so last January is when we really began to slowly, I mean, we'll accept anyone from the state of Georgia, but in terms of marketing, communicating, uh, really a, um, until recently, it's been more of a kind of a quiet launch as we figure out what it's like to serve someone who's across the state, not just, you know, across the street. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you have a number of how many people have been served over the lifespan of the, of the organization? Absolutely. So um, just in the last six months, we served over 2,000 people. Um, <sighs> for the whole organization, it's uh, upwards of 5,000 people. And just an a, a important distinction, um, one, something that came along almost right after we started serving people with financial assistance, we started having people come to us who, uh, for whatever reason, just didn't qualify for financial assistance from Giving Kitchen. And we, our criteria is pretty tight. Um, again, it's it's you're sick, you're injured, you've had a death in the family, or your house burned down or was flooded. But we would have people maybe you know who there are other legitimate crises. You know, someone who's maybe their roommate skipped out on them, and so they all their money went to rent, and they don't have any food in the fridge. Mm. Uh, maybe they were having uh, a mental health crisis, or they were feeling depressed or suicidal. Um, and so almost as, you know, as soon as the word got out about Giving Kitchen and that we were there as a support mechanism for restaurant workers, we started having people call who really fit outside the box of our financial assistance. And that's when we created what we now call Stability Network. And it is, you know, essentially the best way to understand it. And anyone who works in food service can, this resonates with, um, when you work in a restaurant, it is like working in your own world. Um, and for so many men and women in food service, they just, 
don't know who, how to ask for help or who to ask for help from. Um, so what started as kind of the back of a napkin list of doctors, dentists, therapists, counselors, uh, yeah. food, you know, food distribution centers has become a really um, important part of what we do. Um, it's a network that people can either access through our app if they're looking for just getting a, a, a quick reference for resources in their community. We've also started to work with service providers who will give Giving Kitchen, uh, hey, we want to provide 10 free dentist visits. We want to provide a, um, you know, we had someone from Athens last year get a free hip surgery, a hip replacement surgery. Wow. Totally for um, and so for us, so when I say 5,000 people, that includes uh, a few thousand people who've received the financial assistance and then also the thousands of people who've gotten a direct referral from Giving Kitchen. Uh, where we've connected them to a resource in their community, a counselor, a therapist, a dentist, a doctor. Um, and that that list is magnified even further when you think about half of all Giving Kitchen clients have children in the household. Um, and so not only are we helping keep a food service worker in place, preventing them from being evicted, uh, but we're also helping to uh, stabilize the lives of children in our community so they don't have to go live in a hotel, so they don't have to uh, uh, change schools, so they can you know, can, you know, stay in the community support system around them. That's amazing. And I love I love hearing how how you guys have also looked to other ways of, of integrating community resources, not just through cash donations, but also through services. That's that's really great. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, we and we try to frame ourselves as you know we're the um, EMS, we're the emergency, we're the ambulance, we're the ambulance for the food service community. Look, there's a lot of really important work that needs to happen in restaurants um, and discussions about pay, immigration, inclusion, um, you know, across the board. And you know, we want to be a part of those discussions. And we know that you know our data because we have an incredible data set about the restaurant because, you know, we're asking all the questions. Um, and so, but it is important to know that, that, you know, we really see our lane as being like the first responder to, for, for food service workers, knowing that there are other really important uh, agencies doing work um, to advocate anything from, you know, how, how we get to a more stable place with wages to immigration uh, across the board. Yeah. Well, and of course, I think one of the, one of the biggest, issues right now is the current crisis with COVID. I can tell you, even in my neighborhood, I live um, over in Oak Grove, so around Livingston, Claremont, there are several yeah. restaurants in the area, a lot of them family owned, and they've, you know, had to shutter the doors because of, um, you know, steep downturns, obviously, and people that can go into restaurants and some haven't been able to pivot to the kind of delivery basis. Others have, but they're still struggling. And I know it's not just the owners that are struggling. It's all the people that work for them, for all these small businesses. And what has it been like at Giving Kitchen? I mean, starting back in March when things really started to shut down in Georgia, did yeah. you just see a massive influx of, of need? Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, it was it was a really tough time. And so the first thing I want to say is that, you know, there's there's no easy answers to any of this. Um, all of us at Giving Kitchen have felt this personally and professionally. My family's a restaurant family and we had to shut down our restaurant uh, for the first few months. Um, it, I think two thirds of our staff, their their significant other works in food service. And so two thirds of the staff at Giving Kitchen have all lost income during this crisis. Um, and yeah. so 
we know it like and we also know it's not easy there's no easy answers everyone's doing the best they can and 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 getting out of this is a multi-pronged approach it's everything from working with your landlord to working with your bank to working with your community to working with your food distributors to try to make enough money just to make it until things are safe again um and so the first you know going back to march i mean we went, it was almost every single day the world changed and every single day uh, you were trying to find your bearings. I, I feel like at least now I know what the next few months are going to be like, even, yeah. you know, and so, but, but, and so it's kind of takes a real mind shift to get back to where we were in March. But, you know, my first, my initial reaction was this is either going to kill Giving Kitchen because not only are we serving the most uh, impacted part of our community, but that's also who pays the bills. I mean, our income is derived from restaurants and food distributors who um, host events, who raise money. And, you know, as an organization, we had uh, worked hard to get better at um, individual giving and, and foundation giving, but but we knew we weren't there yet. And so, mm-hmm. you know, a lot in the very beginning, we thought, well, this is either going to be the end or this is going to be a new beginning. Um, and we're real fortunate that that all signs point towards this is a new beginning. Uh, we've had over 5,000 people make an individual donation over the last uh, four months, um, all brand new to the organization. So That's if you great. had told if you had told me in at the beginning of 2020 that Giving Kitchen would have 5,000 new donors, I would have thought, oh wow, what a great year we've got coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, great! Wow. Take into account all the other stuff going on. Yeah. yeah. So, so that so that's the piece about us. I mean, it really was a this is either going to kill us or it's going to help to sub- cement our ability to impact our community. And I think that um, you know what people have seen and what they've responded to is that we've been very clear and transparent about how we can help and who we're going to help. Um, it was very difficult in the early days because thousands and thousands of people were reaching out uh, begging for help. I think for a lot of people, they just were so unsure about unemployment. Uh, They were so unsure about where their next uh, check was going to come from, that they were going to get evicted. Uh, And that is happening. And so because the social safety net hasn't necessarily uh, caught everyone. Uh, So I don't want to pass this off as that 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 response has been perfect. But um, we so in the early days, we really had to be um, crystal clear with donors and the public that we were going in terms of financial assistance, we were going to maintain our current strategy that we would provide financial aid for someone who was sick, hurt, had a death in the family, or a housing crisis. So, because those people's needs were going to be magnified by COVID unemployment. Um, And so we, especially in the first three or four weeks of this, we were helping um, hundreds of people a week or over a few weeks at a time um, who, who were unemployed by COVID and had like a miscarriage. Unemployed by COVID and just found out they had been diagnosed with cancer, uh, unemployed because of COVID, and maybe they broke their leg in December, and they were just getting ready to start back to work. They'd already burned through their unemployment, um, and so you know, if it, the off the cuff, I mean, we said, look, everyone's screwed. We're helping the most screwed, um, <laughs> and yeah. because these are people who aren't just unemployed, they've had some other terrible life uh, consequence. I'll forward you an email after this. Uh, just after this, that you that you can either share parts of you would like, or just to get, help highlight it. But you know, one of we just helped a woman last week who's they both her husband, husband and wife with two kids. The husband they were both in food service. 
She went to do homeschooling. He was doing any job he could get, fell in with dominoes, was loving it, um, wasn't feeling great, went to the hospital, thought he may have COVID, turned out he had bacterial meningitis, and three days later passed away. Um, and so she was left with two kids and a house uh, with no husband. And he had lost his insurance and his life insurance with his last job. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, you know, those are the types of people that we're getting to and help, helping to stay yeah. Situations, because the reality is, you know, our system was designed to to influence or or to receive, you know, maybe um, ten to fifteen thousand people annually, right? So the mm -hmm. rule, the general rule of thumb for emergency response programs is one to three percent of a general population will have a life changing crisis. So if you're if there's four hundred thousand. Uh, food service workers, you know, and some will be taken care of by themselves. We, we kind of didn't had an algorithm to know, okay, this is how many people we need to prepare for over the course of a year. Well, all of a sudden we had that many people coming at once. And if we had opened it up to anyone who was unemployed, I mean, it would have been as effective as me stepping in front of a Mack truck going hundred miles an hour. Yeah. Um, and so, but what we did say and where we did see a gap was that Food service workers deserve um, the best information and the best resources possible to navigate this crisis. And that's where we've been able to really impact the COVID-19 uh, situation in Georgia specifically. Uh, we have a COVID-19 resource page where it's not just how to stay safe, uh, but it's how to get unemployment, uh, other resources in the community that are for financial, for food, uh, for families, and that resource page has had over 67,000 page views uh, since we started it, especially in the early days with so much misinformation and rumors out there. Uh, the, for food service workers in Georgia, they knew that they could come to Giving Kitchen and really in one place have the most you know, useful and reliable information about how to navigate this crisis uh, personally. That's great. Yeah. Especially if you're working in different, you've got so many people working in different businesses in the food service industry. There's not like a unified resource until this. What, what's the website address for that? Is it under the Giving Kitchen? It's, yeah, it's givingkitchen.org slash COVID-19. Great. Awesome. Wow. Well, I mean, I think one of the challenges that you've highlighted here is the ability to stay really, or the necessity of staying very agile as a nonprofit. Um, where do you see, now that things have stabilized a bit, we're certainly not out of the woods, especially as numbers continue to rise um, throughout the Southeast and, and even the Southwest. I mean, numbers continue to go up and that may change um, restaurant uh, engagement even more. Um, and some states have opened up for indoor dining, others are still outdoor, but all of that is up to subject to change. Where do you see um, the Giving Kitchen going in, as we move on in 2020 and even into 2021 until a vaccine is available? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it really it's continuing to that balance, I think, of staying in, staying in our lane while continuing to be innovative. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the thing that, you know, it's not just like we didn't just say, OK, we're only going to do what we've always done and, and wash our hands of it. So we said, listen, the the service deliverables are going to stay the same. Now, how we reach those goals is where is the space to play in. So uh, we had a lot of success early on with uh, tele-assessments. So mm -hmm. getting food service workers connected to doctors who 
could do a tele-assessment to tell they were sick, you know, since there was no possible way for them to get into a doctor's uh, clinic. Um, so we're going to continue to innovate in the service deliverable model. Um, we will, we, last week, we worked with uh, several different community groups to offer a um, food pickup in the Buford Highway community. Uh, so here's an interesting thing, and, and not interesting, it's, I mean, it's just where we've seen a lot of change. Um, over the last three weeks, as things stabilized in, in, in our communities, and, and it kind of felt like we were getting back to work, um, we have still continued to see an increase in people who are the victims of domestic violence uh, mm. and who are native Spanish speakers. Um, so the, the domestic violence, I think we heard a lot about at the beginning of COVID-19, the warnings that people being yeah. at and not being able to get out was going to be a real issue. I know that domestic violence shelters have really struggled because, you know, the rules about where to put someone, a lot of the hotels and the, the safe houses they could send people uh, dried up um, and stopped accepting guests. So, um, you know, we've, we've, I've continued to beat the drum. If, if you have the opportunity to donate to a domestic violence um, shelter, please continue to do so, or, or please do so. Um, but then also for, um, the immigrant community, uh, either because they're um, on a work visa, a green card, or they're undocumented, a lot of them uh, haven't received the same kind of social uh, safety net benefits, um, either because they don't qualify or especially because the PPP loans for the immigrant community and the PPP loans uh, just not feel like there is a level of trust where they can uh, work with a bank and apply for it. A lot of them are very you know, cash intensive. Um, and might not have the financial relationships to, to, to work to get secure a loan. Um, yeah. and also language is certainly an issue as well. Um, and so we hosted a um, food drop with um, the Latino Community Fund and We Love Buford Highway um, and fed, I think, over 2,000 individual meals, over 1,500 uh, produce boxes, um, I think all told fed about 3,000 people, close to 3,000 people um, or families of 3,000 people um, a couple Saturdays ago. And so mm. that's, that is where we're going to continue to put some resources towards, you know, understanding that the importance of the immigrant community to food service and, and how underserved that community is today uh, yeah. because of COVID-19 uh, or how in, how in need that community is. Um, but, you know, we're, we're certainly seeing the community, you know, our, the pool of restaurant workers is going to shrink, no doubt. And yeah. we also think the so the number of restaurant workers is going to shrink, but the likelihood they'll need giving kitchen is going to increase because their savings are depleted. Uh, their owner who might maybe would have given them money in the past doesn't have that. Uh, mm -hmm. so it's be interesting to see what the next few months are like, but even before COVID, our plan is to uh, streamline and improve Giving Kitchen to the place where we can look at a kind of a hub and spoke expansion model across the southeast and then across the country, uh, where we would keep a um, our deliverable services in Atlanta, uh, but then offer financial support and stability network support across the southeast and kind of beginning with uh, a, a like a like a Nashville or a Birmingham or a Charleston or a Greenville, uh, where we begin to um, kind of launch in those communities, keep the deliverable services in Atlanta. And so I would say for Giving Kitchen, you know, regardless of COVID-19, that's still in the playbook. Uh, and actually, great. I think uh, uh, really because of COVID-19, it provides us some opportunities to expand faster. 
um, and really kind of grow back with communities as we grow back uh, into a fully functional, healthy um, restaurant community in, in the future. Well, that you know, you, you you bring up one of my other questions. You talk about other other locations across the U.S. Are there are there other entities similar to Given Kitchen in other states, or is this kind of a new model? Or have you guys identified other potential partners for for future state to state collaborations? Yeah, there's a lot of there's several different types of um, nonprofit organizations out there that do similar work to Given Kitchen. Um, we have spent one of the things because we got so much help in the very beginning uh, of people who um, kind of guided us to create our protocols and our systems um, we whenever someone reaches out to us we kind of feel like it's our duty to get on the phone with them and so there's a lot of people who are just kind of starting up doing similar work to giving kitchen that we've coached and counseled um, but in terms of having the like the kind of key ingredients to what makes what I think what makes us special, you know, we really are the, the only organization that's kind of doing what we're doing, that balance of financial assistance and uh, a connection to a community resource. Um, there are some people who are offering, um, you know, hey, we'll help, we'll give anyone anywhere in the United States 500 bucks or, or kind of a, a cash assistance if they're unemployed or they need it, um, but they're kind of doing like the, the big kind of like catch-all approach uh, versus I think where we have um, a little, we asked for a little more documentation. Uh, you know, it, it, it does slow the process down a little bit, but we, we know, have a better sense of what people need. And they're working yeah. with a case manager who can also connect them to resources. So someone who gets financial assistance is also probably going to get two or three other things from Giving Kitchen. And uh, so it's great. a, a well-rounded um, deliver, delivery model. That's great. Well, and I know you mentioned earlier, too, that some of your major fundraising models are working with local um, restaurants and chefs and, and running events. Um, besides the individual donations, do you guys have any events coming up? Or I don't even know how you do that safely with COVID. Or what's your what's your next strategy? And I guess also, how can people that might be listening to this, how can they reach out to help? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the first thing I would say to answer your question about helping first, the first thing we would say is uh, find a way to continue to support food service um, and um, tip generously, um, you know, buy generously. You know, to, I think that we after the first three or four months, that that kind of idea of, of going out to eat for the, for the sake of the restaurant worker is starting to wear off a little bit. Uh, so just remind listeners that, you know, the – the best way to help a food service worker um, who who is maybe not making as much money as they used to is to, to order out, um, dine on a patio if you feel comfortable, dine inside if you feel comfortable, uh, but you know order big and tip big. Yeah, um, that's great. And then I would say for us is you know we're we're figuring it out like everybody else. Uh, we have a golf tournament scheduled for the fall. Um, I you know wouldn't be surprised if we hosted it under very different terms than if we did in the past. I think, you know, we're seeing that people play golf a lot. You know, it's, uh, you're with, you're out, you're, cause this is all about, at the end of the day, it's all about mitigating risk, right? Mm -hmm. And you're, you're outside, you're socially distanced and, uh, you know, it's, uh, not spending a lot of time around other people. Uh, so the golf tournament may happen. Uh, we have another outside, um, kind of fall, uh, food, um, festival that we do at Serenby 
it's a few hundred guests. I'm not sure we're going to do that. Uh, we're still still trying to figure out if that's going to be um, on the menu. And then for our you know our annual kind of gala, just a thousand people. It's indoors. It's hosted every January. Uh, we're very unsure about the future of that. And, and looking at maybe we should go ahead and hedge our bets and move it to the summer of 2021. Move it outside and and just see where we go from there. Um, I think it's you know the days of wishful thinking are over. And for us, uh, fundraising has moved to um, uh, a direct person-to-person request. We've also received a lot of great support from corporations. A lot of new, a new um, uh, food and beverage organizations have stepped up, and a lot of foundations around Atlanta and around the state have stepped up for Giving Kitchen. That's great. That's great. And so for the individual donors, where can we go to donate if, if people want to? Yep, givingkitchen.org. So you, if you go to our, our website, it's uh, super easy, and it's a you know it's a great way to, to to support. I kind of tell people it's like an order of operations: uh, dine out, tip big, um, give to a GoFundMe if there's one that you trust at a restaurant that you trust, mm-hmm. and there's support giving kitchen because you know we you know and and all those things do different things. You know, supporting a restaurant uh, keeps the business going, supporting GoFundMe's directly to the employees, supporting giving kitchen means you're going to make a tax deductible donation, uh, to people who are experiencing, a, a really a crisis beyond COVID. Um, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm super impressed by all that you guys are doing and it's so cool to see somebody that has grown up in a restaurant and, yeah. you know, since, since you were a kid really, um, and playing such a key role in ensuring this goes forward. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Brian. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious, recorded on Skype from home during the COVID-19 isolation period. You can subscribe to the show on any major podcasting platform or listen directly on our website at foodiepharmacology.com. Please take a moment to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts because every single rating score helps us to raise visibility of the show. Thanks so much for listening. Stay healthy out there, and I'll see you next time.